Let's pray together as we come to consider God's word. Father, in these moments, we ask that you might make yourself known to us. You might speak into our hearts. You might teach us your truth. You might strengthen us to respond in obedient living. Speak, Lord, and let your servant listen. Amen. There has been a great deal of discussion in this past week on the subject of misinformation. Because of the wonders of social media, anyone can have their own ideas, irrespective of how weird or wacky they might be, published and promoted all over the world through Twitter, Instagram or whatever. On Tuesday past, WhatsApp brought in new rules for forwarding messages to slow down the spread of what is harmful advice. Have you heard of some of the things, some of the strange claimed cures for COVID-19? There are many, but I've restricted my selection to those commented on on the BBC News website. I haven't strayed into the zinny world of ideas that are circulating, circulating but, but these suggested remedies are bad enough. Drinking lemon juice, that'll not do you much harm. Or drinking cow's urine. I'll certainly not be trying that. Eating garlic? Well, that will help with the social distancing. Or not eating ice cream? Some people I know would rather risk getting ill than forgoing the eating of ice cream. Or drinking colloidal silver? Have you heard of that? Televangelist Jim Baker is a strong advocate. Did you know that it can turn your skin blue? Which sounds kind of cool until you realise that it's a permanent change. All these ideas are circulating as effective ways to avoid the virus. And they are all false. As we turn for a few moments to think about the words that Judith read for us, we discover that the Apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthian church of the message of the gospel that he had proclaimed to them. He had declared the truth of the only sure and certain cure for sin. And it was to be the solid ground on which, in difficult days, they would stand. And it was to be the message, if received in faith, through which they were being saved. And on this resurrection morning, I want to share with you two simple points. And the first is this. This death was vicarious. Verse 3. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Vicarious is perhaps not a word you would be using every day. It means to experience something on behalf of another. Christ died not for his sins. He was perfect, sinless. He died for our sins. Right in the middle of the Old Testament, you find the little book of Job. The account of a man who lived a good and upright life and yet who faced a tsunami of calamity sweeping over him. He lost his wealth, but his wealth wasn't just his money, it was his livestock, his donkeys and oxen, his sheep and his camels, all taken from him in a moment. If you've ever witnessed a news report of a farmer who has had, li has had livestock killed, you'll see the grief in his eyes. This was a deeply painful experience for Job. But immediately following this wound to his heart came the awful news that all ten of his children had been killed in a storm. Shortly after, Job, his own health 
broke down. From head to toe, he was covered in sores. His three friends came to him and sat with him in silence for seven days, sensing and sorrowing for his suffering. And this was excellent pastoral care. That is, up until chapter four of the book, when they begin to speak. And it is Eliphaz who speaks first. And in verse seven, he asks these telling questions. He says, remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Eliphaz makes the assumption, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. He believes the world is governed by karma, that eventually you will get what you deserve, be it good or bad. But his logic is flawed. He does not understand how the world works. The innocent do suffer. The upright are cut off. Or at least, the only sinless man who ever lived on this earth suffered. He, Jesus, was cut off. Later, Paul will write to the church in Corinth in the famous words of 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, that is God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His death was vicarious. It was substitutionary in our place for our sin. Sometimes I experience road rage, not at someone who might cut in in front of me in a queue or anything like that. I'm far too bad a driver to be upset by things like that. No, what gets me riled is when I see people wind down their windows and toss their rubbish by the roadside. I get the same sense of rage when I walk along a beach or up the Mourne Mountains and I have to wade my way through discarded cans and crisp bags. It upsets me, as it should upset you, when the unspoiled beauty of God's creation is marred by human thoughtlessness. But how much more? Ought we to be offended when we think of all the sins of all the people of the world through all the ages being set upon the unspoiled, the unstained shoulders of the Son of God as he hangs upon Calvary's cross? The message of the cross is offensive. It's distressing, but it's true. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, died not for his own sins, but for your sins, for my sins. Centuries of the Old Testament sacrificial system had been pointing the people to this truth. Someone has to pay for sin. And the price is blood, the losing of a life. This is what has been done for us. As Paul states, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Or as Philip Bliss puts it in his hymn, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. In First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 we read, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive, in the spirit. 
This death is vicarious. But we need to rejoice also that over death, he was victorious. In verse 4, Paul declares of Jesus that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Note that he says Jesus didn't rise from the grave. He was raised. And it is this that gives us the assurance that the offering made on our behalf is acceptable. Jesus didn't die just to forgive our sins. If that were the case, we would at best be a forgiven corpse. No, Jesus conquered death and the grave that as he now lives, so we too might be made alive in him. Hopefully you know Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. There we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is our Easter hope. Jesus is risen and we have been made alive with Christ. Just as he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and called for him to come out. So this risen Jesus calls out to a world dead in sin. That through faith in this Saviour we might enter into new and everlasting life. In his classic children's book. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis has the resurrected Aslan breathe on the stone statues in the Queen's courtyard. And as a result, they come to life and enter into the battle. And that is the experience of those who encounter the risen Jesus. Paul reels off a, a list of witnesses to this resurrection. Peter, the Twelve, a group of 500 people together. To James... And lastly, to Paul. And while his death was viewed by believers and unbelievers alike, his resurrection appearances were only experienced by believers since everyone who met the risen Jesus believed. The last two examples listed make this point. James, the brother of the Lord, up to this encounter did not believe. The gospel writers make it clear that his brothers tried to stop his ministry rather than support it. But seeing Jesus alive was the convincing proof that transformed James into a prominent leader in the early church. And Paul, on his way to Damascus, as the leading persecutor of Christians, meets the risen Jesus and becomes the greatest planter of churches. Encountering Jesus, risen from the grave, always brings about a radical transformation from spiritual death to eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus is vital because without it, there is no life, there is no hope. The Reverend Serene Jones is president of Union Theological Seminary in New York. She's a liberal feminist. When interviewed recently about Easter, she said, For Christians, for whom the physical resurrection becomes a sort of obsession, that seems to me to be a pretty wobbly faith. What if tomorrow someone found the body of Jesus still in the tomb? Would that then mean that Christianity was a lie? 
No, faith is stronger than that. End quote. Her faith may be stronger than that, but in what is her faith placed? What she says makes no sense. Rather, as New Testament professor Craig Blomberg writes, Christianity lives or dies with the claim of Christ's resurrection. The Apostle Paul will, will make this point later in the chapter. In verse 14, he writes, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If the tomb is not empty, if Jesus has not been raised, then this Bible is a book of lies. Our faith has no anchor and we are without hope. But Jesus has been raised. He is alive. And because he is alive, those who in faith encounter this risen Jesus are made alive with him. We celebrate on this Sunday because there is an empty cross and an empty tomb. If Jesus died, according to the scriptures, if he's been raised, according to the scriptures, then we must know for certain that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, according to the scriptures. Therefore, I urge you, please be relying on the finished work of the empty cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Be rejoicing in the wonder of the empty tomb as the source of your eternal life. And be ready for the return of the conquering king who will gather his own to be with him forever. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this wonderful Easter message. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was raised from death according to the scriptures. This is truth and upon these facts we can find our faith with confidence. We can know a relationship with our risen Saviour that transforms our lives and that guides us to live radically, transformatively in this perishing world. Lord, may we have this great confidence to know that Jesus is alive now and forever and that we believing in him will live with him forever. In the meantime, until he returns as he's promised, May we be ready. May we be proclaiming this wonderful gospel that all who hear might believe and find in him forgiveness and life that lasts forever. We pray it to the glory of Jesus Christ alone. Amen.